Amen. Lord, we thank you that we have the promise that we will arise because you have risen. And we thank you and praise you, Lord, for the promises that we have in your word, that we can rest in you, we can trust in you. And Lord, we ask as we open up the Bible this morning that your Holy Spirit would speak to every heart that is here. We love you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Great to have you here. I will mention one, one more time, uh, happy Mother's Day to you moms. We love you. We are so blessed to have godly moms. Amen? You can clap for that. Amen? Amen. We didn't get the video together this year, but we'll do it from now on once we get... But that, those are they're priceless. I thought we should have just played the one from like three years ago. That would have been a fun thing to do, but, but we'll do that next time. All right, turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to continue where uh, we left off a few weeks back, and Lord willing, uh, we're on pace, as I said last week. We may actually do some of 1 John on Wednesday nights. We have one more chapter in Genesis this Wednesday, and then we're probably going to continue doing 1 John, and then 2 John and 3 John on Sunday and Wednesday, uh, and I'll time out perfectly that when we get to the new building in four weeks, we'll start the book of Revelation, which I think is totally appropriate. Amen? So that'll be a good thing. All right. Um, and as Pastor Bill mentioned, um, I know most of us are working. It's, a, it's not a, uh, a convenient time necessarily, but Thursday at 2.30, I know he mentioned that uh, young Tristan, one month old, uh, went to be with the Lord and, you know, that's the time when we as a body of Christ need to come to comfort one another. Amen? And so if you're available at that time and you can be there, that would be wonderful. Uh, I'm going to be sharing, and so is uh, the pastor from Calvary in, up in Milpitas where they attend uh, much of the time. All right, well, this morning I titled the message, Love in Action. We're coming to the end of this letter written, to, written by John, the, uh, the disciple that Jesus loved. And we have clearly seen that one of the main themes of this letter is loving God and loving others. And as we're going to continue to see this morning, that this love is more than just a verbally proclaimed belief, that true God-given selfless agape love is not just heard in our words, but seen in our actions. You know, it's, the Gnostics talked about loving God. If you haven't been here, I know we have some visitors this morning. This letter was written in a time when there were false teachers uh, coming against or coming to the early church and trying to draw them away that they had a special revelation from God. And they were called the Gnostic. And Gnostic means knowledge. That's why agnostic means without knowledge. It could also mean ignoramus. It's a fact. You can look it up. So next time someone arrogantly says to you, I'm an agnostic, just let them know what they just told you. But here's the point. The point is this, that the Gnostics thought they had a special revelation from God, and they were going to these early Christians and telling them that only they knew the real truth, and part of their real truth was that the flesh and the spirit were separate from each other, and you could believe in Jesus Christ and have your get-out-of-hell-free card and be going to heaven and live like the world. But as we know, that's not accurate. That doesn't line up with Scripture. And we're going to see that this morning. Real belief, indeed, is reflected in our behavior. 
In context of this letter, what John was teaching was in direct contrast to the false doctrine of these Gnostics uh, that the early Christians were being confronted with at the time. The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 8 that love edifies, but knowledge puffs up. The Gnostics were extremely arrogant, self-righteous, uh, puffed up in themselves, and their false teaching directly contradicted the commands and exhortations found throughout God's Word, and that we as Christians are to live holy and set apart lives. You know, there's, there's kind of a paradigm people struggle with sometimes. Yeah, we're saved by grace. That means we don't save ourselves. It's not our good works that save us. But then sometimes we can make the mistake of having cheap grace, where we say, okay, I'm saved so I can just be like the world. Well, the other extreme is that God has called us to live holy lives. So now people get legalistic and say, okay, I have to live perfect so I'm worthy of salvation. Let me just tell you right now, there's nothing you can do to be worthy of salvation. Jesus Christ came that you might have life. And you know what? In the midst of all of it, yes, he's a God of love and grace and mercy, and you and I are called to live holy. It's not either or, it's both. And even though we can't fully grasp it, all the time. It doesn't matter because God said so. Amen? So at the salvation, our salvation, you and I become new creations in Christ. Old things pass away. All things become new. We should no longer be controlled by our flesh as we now walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the true believing faith that we have has a radical impact, not just in our belief, but in our behavior. It's in my humble opinion that the Bible very clearly teaches that we are three-part beings. Some Christians who I respect would disagree with me, and they're wrong. No, I'm I'm just kidding. They would disagree with me, and that's okay. But the Bible, and you see it in the Word of God, it says in 2 Thessalonians, May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. So we are three-part beings, mind, soul, and spirit. Before you were saved, your mind was leading the way. What you thought, what you wanted, what your flesh desired was in charge, and your spirit that was dead at the time simply followed along. And so we were led by our mind. We were three-part beings. But guess what? When we got saved, it flipped. No longer is our mind in charge, but we are now under control of the Holy Spirit. The reason that we struggle is that we have to put that flesh to death daily, don't we? And we need to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. And the reason that we sin and the reason that we continue to struggle and the reason that we have the trials that we go through too often, the consequences of our behavior, is that we let that flesh rise up into a position where it does not belong. Our flesh needs to die every single day. And so we see here that when we became new creations, the Holy Spirit is now in charge. The Spirit now leads. And because the Spirit leads, we ought to live different. This again contradicts what the Gnostics taught. Bible says in Hebrews 4, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So we're three-part beings. Who's in charge of your life? Who leads you? Is it your mind? Is it your flesh? Or is it the Holy Spirit? 
If you're here this morning and you've been leading your own way and you've been living in rebellion, how's that working out for you? Not too good, amen? Are we asleep this morning? I know it's Mother's Day. You haven't had the big meal yet, have you? Brunch is coming, right? Usually, you know, come on, let's wake up a little bit. It's okay. You know, it helps your pastor out to hear a response. It lets me know that you're not napping, that you are actually paying attention. So, amen? Very good. Praise the Lord. All right. I'm an old youth pastor. I will never die. I'm always going to be this way. All right. So the spiritually dead, his thoughts and fleshly desires leave the way. But when we were saved, now the Holy Spirit takes the lead. And it should be seen not just in our thoughts, but also in our actions. So the Gnostics teach just the opposite. They believed it didn't matter how you lived, and sadly, we see that that has not gone away. There's so many today that say, you know what, just give your life to Jesus and live like you want. Many of them use Jesus Christ as a crutch to get what they want. But guys, I pray that you leave here this morning with a better understanding of what it really means to follow Jesus Christ with your whole heart. So if you're a note taker, here are the the, uh, points we're going to look at this morning. Love in action, number one. Your love for God will be seen in your love for your brother. If we love God, we will love our brother. Number two, if you truly love God, you will love his children. You can't love the father and hate his kids. And we'll talk about that. Number three, your love for God and his children is made known by your obedience to his word. It's amazing how he says this. It's kind of interesting. He's going to tell us that how do we know we're obeying, that we really love God and his kids? We obey his word. Number four, if you truly love God, his commands are a blessing, not a burden. If you're here this morning and you think the Bible is a a book of, you know, no fun rules that keep you from having a good time, you need to read it again and get to know the God who wrote it. And then finally, if you believe by faith, that Jesus is the Son of God, you will overcome the world. So love in action. Your love for God will be seen in your love for your brother. Look at verse 20 of 1 John chapter 4. That's where we begin. It says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Now, verse 19 gives the motivation for our love for God. It says there, We love him because he first loved us. That's the motivation. We love God. He started it, not us. He initiated it, not us. Amen? He loved us. He proved his love for us by dying on the cross. We responded. That's the motivation. But now, after looking at the motivation, let's look at the manifestation. Now we know that we love him. What does it look like? Well, here's what it looks like. Here's what it doesn't look like initially. If someone says, I love God. You know, a lot of people say, I love God, don't they? I love God. It's easy to say, I love God. I love God. I believe in God. I have faith in God. I have no idea what the God they define as being God. But it's easier to say that because it speaks of a private relationship with an invisible God. You know, something that's one-on-one. I have several co-workers. Most of you know I work full-time. I have several co-workers that I talk to about the Lord, and they'll tell me, well, I just have my own private relationship with God. I just kind of have church at home. You know, I read my Bible on occasion in the privacy of my own home. Well, guess what? That's rebellion. Let me tell you why. The Bible says, forsake not the gathering of yourselves together, and all the more as the day approaches. Amen. 
That's a command of God. If you were reading your Bible, you might have caught that verse. Second of all, God has given you gifts and he wants you to use them for his glory. God has also given other people gifts that he wants to use to minister to you. Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. The Lord does not want us to be out on an island somewhere by ourselves having our own definition of what it means to have a relationship with God. True love for God goes beyond words. It produces godly action. And part of that is being active in fellowship. The Bible tells us that it is by our fruit that they will know us. Guys, it's not by our words, it's by our fruit. A lot of people think it's by our words. I'm just going to convince somebody how godly I am. By the way, if someone's trying to convince me how godly they are, I've already found out they're not that godly. Amen? Because that's prideful, right? And so if someone has to come and tell you all the wonderful things they're doing for God, let me just tell you about my week. I witnessed a 57,000 people. I was baptized, you know. And you're like, you know what? If you were, yeah, get over yourself. If, you know, here's the truth. If we're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, God gets all the glory. And we don't touch it. We don't talk about it. We make sure we're always pointing to Him. Fruit speaks of godly actions and attitudes and character, not just grand claims. We see these empty claims all around us. You know, a vast majority of our elected officials and the people that we voted into office and those doing the voting claim to be Christians. Did you know that? Now, I haven't seen the most recent study, and it certainly doesn't apply to Santa Cruz, but nationwide, over 80% of people claim to be Christians. Now, if all that mattered was what you said about yourself, we could believe it. But the truth is, while the nation claims to be Christian, we've taken God's word and prayer out of our schools. We seek to make those who reject God more comfortable and accepted in their beliefs instead of reaching out, with, out to them with the truth. Now, I'm going to say this. I hesitated to say it, but then I said, you know, I prayed about it. I believe we need to pray for our president. He's our president. God allowed him to be there, and we need to pray for him. What's the amen to that? Okay, we need to pray for him. That being said, I think we can point out where he's outside of God's will, and I'm about to. Okay, here's the thing. He is a self-proclaimed Christian. He claims to be born again and to have to have given his life to Jesus Christ. But in four months in office, he has done more to advance the slaughter of unborn babies in this country and abroad than any president in our history. Does that sound like something a Christian would do? Absolutely not. He was the first president in history to proclaim openly that we are not a Christian nation, but a group of citizens, whatever that is. He is also the first president we've had to all but ignore the national day of prayer in a time when we needed it more than any other time in our history. Amen? Amen? We love him, we pray for him. Jesus loves him, we pray for him. I'm pointing this out to you because what I'm saying is this. Saying you're a Christian means absolutely nothing. It's not what you say, it's what you do that proves who you are. It's by your fruit they shall know you. Right now, they're proactively advancing the rights, our president, of those practicing sexual perversion while at the same down tearing, tearing down the sanctity of biblical marriage. This is from our president who claims to be a Christian. He's moving quickly toward 
making the preaching of God's word a hate crime and punishable by imprisonment. It's already passed in the House. I'm not making this up. If it passes in the Senate and I get up here and teach Romans chapter 1, if they want to, they can take me to jail. Guess what? I'm going to teach Romans chapter 1 and I might end up in jail, but so be it. Here's the point, guys. We need to stand for the word of God and recognize, again, it's not who we say we are. It's how we live. It's the actions that we take. It's the behavior that comes out of our lives that's important. And so pray for our president. We live in a country right now that says we love God, and yet there's no fear of him and little reverence for his word. His name is cursed more than it's praised. We're entertained by the very sins that Christ died for, and we have become an amoral nation where the people who have morals are mocked. Lord, help us. And help us not to fall into the trap like the Gnostics were saying, hey, you know what? You're a Christian. You gave your life to Jesus. That's enough. You got to get out of hell free card. Just put it in your wallet and remember it on judgment day. The rest of the time, just go out and live like the world. That's what the Gnostics taught. And it seems to be what much of the Christ, quote, Christian church today is teaching as well. The text there says, someone says, I love God and he hates his brother. This directly contradicts what Jesus said to his disciples in John 13. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. It's not what we say. It's not who we say we are. It's how we live. The text goes on to say he is a liar. So what is he lying about? He says he loves God, but his actions prove he doesn't. It says it back in in 1 John chapter 1, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. If we say we love God and yet walk in open rebellion to what he has commanded us to do, we are not just confused or immature, we lie about loving him at all. If we say we love him, but then we live like we don't, it's not what we say, it's what we do that reflects who we really are. Let's read the rest of the verse. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? It is easier for us to love someone who we can touch and see and communicate with. All things we do in a deeper way with the Lord when we mature and grow in him, but our love for the invisible is seen by our love for the visible. How does the world know that your life has been radically changed? They're not with you in your prayer closet. They're not with you at church on Sunday. You know when they see it? They see it in a radical transformation in the way you love other people. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is what? What's the first word? Love. It's agape. And guys, if there is no love, there is no Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is there, there will be love. The Gnostics were saying, who needs love? We got salvation. We believed in Jesus. The rest of it doesn't matter. Let's just party till we go to heaven. Guys, God has a higher calling for our lives than that. And by the way, partying's no fun. Just ask the people who've done it for years. At some point, you recognize that God knows what he's talking about. Amen? So true agape love goes beyond the words we speak and proclaim even in our time of worship. Guys, Pastor Don used to say, you've heard me say this before, Christians don't tell lies, they just sing them. You know, and sometimes we do that. 
We sing these songs, but we really don't do it. And I've heard you have, I use this as an example every time because it's, the most, it's just so clear. We sing the song, I Surrender All. But do we really? You know, if we were being accurate, we might sing, I Surrender Some. And maybe for some of us, I Surrender None. Right? <laughs> But the truth is that as believers, it has to go beyond the words we proclaim even in our worship to being reflected in the way that we live every single day. Our proclaimed love for the Lord we cannot see is revealed in the love we have for the brother that we can. It's revealed in our actions. Verse 21, And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also, notice two key words here. This commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother. It's a commandment and it's a must. That means that as Christians, this is not a suggestion to be considered, but a command to be obeyed. It's not, you ought to love people, it's a good idea. No, that's not what it says. It's a command and a must. We often think of love as some kind of uncontrollable force that grabs a hold of us, makes us feel all excited, and we have a stomach filled with butterflies. And maybe you get that, and that's, that's fine. But as noted here, love is not an emotion sought after that comes upon us by chance or accident. Love is a choice. Let me say that again. Love is a choice. Amen? We can choose to love somebody... And agape love means I'm going to love you even when you don't deserve it. I'm going to love you even if you've done nothing to make me want to love you. I'm going to love you even if you have hurt me. I'm going to love you even if I do only give, 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 and all you do is take. I'm just going to keep loving you because that's what agape love is. And the greatest example of that, of course, was seen in our Savior. Agape love gives. For God so loved the world, agape, that he gave his only begotten son. Guys, love is seen in giving and love is as a choice. And the only source of true agape love is God. So being born again and abiding with the Lord gives us the ability to love. But it is a choice of our will to draw upon that resource and give it out to others. Based on the truth of this Scripture, the clear truth, if we are born of Him and we are abiding in Him, then the resources are love are, uh, for love are there. They're evident. They're, in your, they're with you right now. If you're born again this morning, the resource to unconditionally love every person on this planet is there. Now it's up to you to choose to do so. It's up to me to choose to do so. Now, you might be here and say, well, you don't know this one person. You just don't know. If you were around, I'm telling you, I just can't love that person. Can't do it. Or I'll start loving that person if. Or I'll start loving that person when. I'll start loving you when you. If you. These are weak excuses in God's eyes, and God does not accept them. Amen? Our love for others has nothing to do with them deserving it, just as his love for us had nothing to do with us deserving it. Amen? We are to love others as Christ loves us. Here's the truth. If you have people in your life that you don't love, it's not because you can't, it's because you won't. 
Amen? If you're here and you're born again, God has given you the ability to love everyone. And because he has given you the ability, if there's someone in your life that you are not loving, it's because you are choosing not to love them. You are choosing to be bitter. You are choosing to be angry. You are choosing to not surrender that part of your life. And instead of loving them, it's not because you can't, it's because you won't. It is an act of rebellion against Almighty God. Now, it's not always easy, is it? What's the answer? Are there some pretty unlovable people on this planet? What's the answer? Come on. Be truthful. Come on. We, we've met them. We know them. We all have them. Y'all got, you, you thought of five? I hope none of you thought of me. But you know, you thought of some people. And you thought, oh yeah, man, I know exactly who he's talking about. Amen. We need to pray for those people. And we need to pray that God will give us a supernatural love for them. It's kindness that leads people to repentance. Often those people are the people that they are because nobody has ever exhibited God's love to them. You know, can I encourage you? The thing that's been most effective in reaching the hardest co-workers I have is when God just put it on my heart, love them so much it makes them sick. Just love them until they can't stand it anymore. Just pour syrup all over them, you know what I mean? Just be so sweet, they don't even know what to do with you anymore. And you know what's amazing? It works. It works. We'll see if they, if they follow through, but I've been told by a group of people in my office, almost all of whom wanted nothing to do with Christianity and even mocked when I came back to work there because they know I'm a pastor, and there's a big group of them that are going to come to our new building the first Sunday that we're there. Amen. Pray that they follow through. They don't get amnesia or something. You know what they do? I'm just going to keep loving on them. Because that's what the Lord would have us do, amen? He who loves God must love his brother also. We learn how to love God by loving people. To love the invisible by loving the visible. We say this often, when, someone need, when God wants to give someone a hug, often he wants to use our arms. Amen? When he wants to encourage somebody, he often wants to use our lips. And, ooh, oh, Pastor Dave, don't go there. And when he wants to minister to someone financially, sometimes he wants to use our money. Oh, you didn't just say that. Not at Calvary Chapel, we never talk about money. We didn't even pass an offering around here. What is up with that? Here's the truth, guys. Everything we have belongs to the Lord, and we should be tools in the hands of our Master, fully surrendered unto Him, saying, Lord, let others see your love by seeing it through me. Amen? Lord, I pray that's our, that every one of us would have that heart. So love in action. Your love for God will be seen in your love for your brother. Secondly, if you truly love God, you're going to love His kids. Look at what it says there in verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. If you don't have those first 10, 10 or so words there underlined in your Bible, you might want to fix that. Because what does it say? Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. There it is. That is the picture of what it means to be born again. Born of God can also be born from above or born again. Well, John's emphasis has been on loving others. Notice that he doesn't 
point to loving others as the source of salvation. It's the fruit of salvation, but not the source of it. You can be the most loving person in the world from the world's perspective and going to hell without Jesus Christ. It's the fruit of salvation, agape love, and someone who's lost can't have agape, but they can outwardly look like they love everybody. But guys, while it's the fruit of salvation, it's not the source of it. So what is the source? Or better yet, who is the source of salvation? It's not enough to believe in God or even to believe that Jesus came and lived and died. You must come to a place of trust and total reliance on Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, as your Redeemer, as your Savior. Look what it says there. Whoever believes that Jesus is a Christ. Is that what it says? Or that he is a way. Or is he, he is a potential path. He's not a way. He's not a truth. He's not a life. He's not a hope. He's not a Messiah. He's the Messiah. Amen? He's the Christ. And he alone can forgive us for our sin. Belief is not just an intellectual agreement The word there, belief, is a commitment, a belief that produces an action. We are born again when we have put all our trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. The Messiah, the way. Very few things nauseate me as much as to see a pastor on TV or on the radio apologizing for the gospel. May it never be so. Amen? May we never try to cover up the gospel or make it more acceptable. Guys, it's as acceptable as it needs to be. It's simple. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Amen? You don't add to it. You don't take from it. You don't add to the cross. You don't take away from the cross. We should be baptized, but do we need to be baptized to be saved? What's the answer? No, absolutely not. Don't add to it. It's not Jesus plus your first communion. It's not Jesus plus, you know, some religious rite. It's not Jesus plus church membership. It's not Jesus plus you living a perfect holy life. That'll never happen. It's Jesus plus nothing. And guys, that ought to bring you peace, not be a burden. Amen? And too often today, people are trying to make him a Christ or a way. The New Age movement would say that Jesus had the Christ spirit. I've talked to New Agers, told me, oh, he had the Christ spirit. Where did you get that? What is that? Who made that up? Well, I know who made that up. The enemy. Amen? He doesn't have the Christ spirit. He is the Christ. Amen? Because they said Confucius had the Christ spirit, and Muhammad had the Christ spirit, and Buddha had the Christ spirit. You know what? I'll, I'll bet on the one who rose from the dead on the third day. How about you? Buddha dead. Amen? Confucius dead, Muhammad dead, Jesus Christ, risen a living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. That's the God we serve, amen? amen? And he's risen. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. He doesn't have the Christ spirit. He is 
the Christ. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. There's no other way for one to be born again but to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that doesn't mean that you just believe he is the Christ out there, but you've surrendered your life completely to him and he is the Messiah and the one who rules and reigns in your own life. We must move beyond an outward belief to an inward transformation. Amen? I know we got visitors here this morning. You're here by divine appointment. The Lord loves you. Don't leave here without him. Amen? God's a gracious God. Then it says that everyone who loves him who begot also whom who begot also loves him who is begotten of him here's what it says if you truly love god you will love his children you'll love your brothers and sisters in christ if you love dad you'll love his kids no christian should ever say i love god i just don't care that much for christians have any of you ever thought that before Christians aren't always easy to love. Amen? Sometimes you see a guy with a Christian fish in his car driving like an idiot. You think, dude, take the sticker off or start driving right. Amen? But here's the point. And I've heard this said. It's been said, the only thing that made the smell within the ark tolerable was the flood outside. You know, what's the alternative to being in the church where there are imperfect people, being outside of the church without God? Amen? And guys, if you're looking for the perfect church, you'll never find it. And if you did, when you got there, you would ruin it. So (laughs) just stop looking. Amen? Because there is no perfection. Here's the point. You've heard me say this before. Blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. And guys, what we have in common as a family is we have Jesus Christ in common. And if we love God, we're going to love his kids because we indeed are a family. The common ground of Christians is not the color of our skin. It's not our class. It's not our culture. It's not our language or anything else except the common birth the common rebirth that we all have in Jesus Christ and his common lordship over our lives. To love all others in the family of God means you do not limit your love to your own denomination or group or your own social or financial status or your own race or your own political perspective or your own exact theological persuasion. None of these should mean more than our common salvation. There are some of you here this morning that you and I, we've sat down and talked and we agree to disagree on secondary issues in the Bible. Things that do not equate to salvation things do not talk about the deity of christ or the trinity or the inerrancy of scripture we agree on the essentials and maybe on the issue of the second coming or a certain position on you know we may disagree a little bit you know what that's okay because what we have in common is jesus christ and crucified and risen from the dead and i promise you all of us are going to get straightened out some when we get to heaven amen and we can sit and pick at each other. Oh, that guy, he's a this, he's a that, you know. And we can put labels on everything. I, I've met people. I'm an all-millennial pre-trib, you know, pre-create, but, you know, seven-day, oh, stop. I'm a Christian. How about that? Let's be Christians. Let's be those who follow Jesus Christ. Again, parents are exasperated when they see their children fight. Doesn't it hurt you? 
hurts. How must God feel when he sees his children fight among themselves? Again, Christians aren't always easy to love. We need to love them not for their behavior, but because of who their dad is. Amen? Because who bore them. A father takes his role very seriously. Many things he wants to see in his family, his kids getting along, it blesses his heart. As I was writing this down uh, late last night, I was reminded of something that really touched my wife's heart that I pretty much missed. But it shows you how we think. And with it being Mother's Day, I thought I'd bring it up. My, my two oldest boys both played football at Monta Vista Christian last year. And my older son, Johnny, who's now in Bible college in Kauai, played for varsity. And my son, David, was playing for the junior varsity team, and he's the quarterback. Well, the varsity team was just getting there, and my son, David, had just started playing quarterback and had never, you know, hadn't played much. And as the varsity was getting there, my son dropped back for a pass and threw a long touchdown pass. And I'm videotaping the ground because I'm jumping up and down like a dad would, right? Now, the part about that, I'm excited because of the play. Here's what excited my wife. My older son walked down onto the field, saw his brother, ran over and jumped into his arms, and they were high-fiving each other and hugging on each other. My wife goes, they're hugging. Look, they're hugging. That's a parent's heart, isn't it? You want to see your kids loving each other, amen? We're imperfect parents. We get excited when our kids love each other. How much more does our heavenly father want to see his children loving each other, amen? Being kind to each other, being gracious to each other, being excited for each other. You know, when you meet another believer, something kind of awesome happens, amen? Isn't there an instant bond of fellowship? You know, I just went to visit my son in Kauai. We went to Calvary Chapel, Kauai two weeks ago on Sunday. And I walked in there and I knew like three people. But immediately, immediately, the people at the door greeting me, fellowship. Listening to the pastor teach the word, ministering to my heart, entering into worship, hanging out after church, hugging on people. There's immediate bond. Why? Because we have Jesus Christ in common. That's how it is. Again, I've told you this before. I've been in line at Disneyland with people that I'm closer to when we get up to the Matterhorn or whatever than people I'm related to who don't know God. When you have Jesus in common, it's a powerful thing, amen? And what he's exhorting us here is, look, if you love God, love his kids. Don't nitpick. Don't look for the differences. Let's start with what we have in common and move on from there. Amen? I'm not saying we don't address doctrine if it's essential. We absolutely should because we love each other. But let's not fight over the non-essentials and miss out on loving each other. God loves to see his children loving on and ministering to one another. And it breaks his heart when we're bickering or fighting. Love in action. Your love will be seen in your love for your brother. Your love for God will be seen in your love for your brother. If you truly love God, you'll love his children. Point number three, your love for God and his children is made known by your obedience to his word. Look at verse two. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. By this we know that we love the children of God. How can I know that I truly love God's children, when I keep his commandments, 
when we love God and obey his word. John 14 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. In the original language, it's written this way. If you habitually, continually, repeatedly, constantly love God, then you will habitually, continually, repeatedly keep his commandments. And the word keep there means more than just to observe them, but to guard them. Guys, it's our job to guard God's word. Amen? Now the Holy Spirit will do that, and God's going to protect it because he's God and he won't let it perish. But as his children, we need to be the ones who stand up when the word of God is being taken apart. When the word of God is being misinterpreted. When the word of God is being changed. You know, there's translations of the Bible out there that are just straight blasphemous. They are. And people print them. And you know who's behind that? The enemy. They take the word of God. One of them's called the Today's NIV. If you have one of those, we'll give you a free Bible. Throw that one away. Because it talks about this. It takes away all the genders. It's a feminist Bible. He's our holy parent. He can't be the father. That's not right. Guys, the word of God is the word of God. We don't change it to meet society. Amen? God's God. Let him be God. Let God be true and every man a liar. A Christian who does not love God or keep his commandments is of no real value to the body of Christ. Let me say that again. If you say you're a Christian, but your actions don't show a love for God, and your actions don't show a love for people, and your actions don't show that you have a desire, not saying you're perfect, but to walk in obedience to the Lord, you're going to have very little fruit in your life and very little impact on eternity. You may be someone who does a lot, busy work on the outside, but there's no love on the inside. There's no burden for people. There's no reaching out to others in love. Without love or obedience, there's no impact on eternity. And if there is, it's not good. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Verse 3, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. To love God is to obey God. Obedience is the highest form of worship. You want to worship God in the, in the most incredible way that you can? Obey Him. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says this, To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Here's what he's saying. Better than a sacrifice given, God desires that we would obey Him. Better than a sacrifice given, He desires that we would listen to Him, to heed Him to hear his voice, to have intimate relationship with him. The one who says he loves God yet walks in a lifestyle of conscious disobedience is like a believer who says that they walk in fellowship with God as at the same time they're walking in darkness. 1 John 1, 6 says, If we say that we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. How do we get the whole family on the same page? How do... What, is, what do we need for the Christian church in America to get back where it needs to be? Is it a charismatic leader? Is it a new book written by some man somewhere? You know what? Here's the answer. We need to get back to dad's rules, the word of God. Amen? We're a family. Dad, our heavenly father, has given us direction. He has given us instruction. And the reason that the family is a mess is we're disregarding what our father has told us. Amen? 
Now, we struggle when our kids don't listen. Are we listening to our Father? Are we heeding Him? Are we following after Him? How do we get our family on the same page? We all obey the rules set down by our Father. As we're about to see, they're not yokes of bondage, but a blessing that free us and direct us into a fruitful life. You know, one, a family can be doing really well. Family can be doing well, blessed financially, blessed at work. Everybody's healthy. Uh, marriage is going well. Uh, most of your children are on fire for God. But one kid in rebellion brings heartache to the whole family. Is that true or not? And why? Because as a family, we love all our kids. We don't want to bat 800 with our children. We want to bat 1,000. Amen? We don't want to see some of them saved. We want to see all of them saved. And because God has given us wisdom as parents, we recognize the harm that they're, headed themselves, they're heading into, and we want to protect them from it. We're imperfect parents. How much more does God know what's best for us? When one is in rebellion, our father is brokenhearted. When children are obeying the rules, when they're following after God, the family is healthy. It brings great joy to the heart of moms and dads. Let's love God and obey His Word. Let's be a blessing to the whole family. When you go your own way, you rebel against God. It hurts not only you, but the whole family. And it hurts our Heavenly Father. Next point. Fourth point. Love in action. If you truly love God, His commands are a blessing, not a burden. Look at the second part of verse 3. And His commands are not burdensome. They're not a burden. Not burdensome. Doesn't mean it's not hard sometimes. To say it's not burdensome doesn't mean I just sail through life and there's never any struggles or trials. Obeying God is always the easiest choice. Is that true or not? It's not true. The easiest choice often is to go with the flow. You've probably seen that that t-shirt that any dead fish can go with the flow. It's true, right? You know, guys, as Christians... We're going in the exact opposite direction of the world. And for us to go with the world, to go with the flow, we're moving away from what God has called us to do. As Christians, when you obey God, you will be going against the flow of the world. Every command given from a father's heart out of love for us, every command is an expression of his love for us. And as parents, we give commands to our children out of love for them to keep them from harm. And God's word is not a burden but a blessing. Some say it's hard to obey God. I've had people say that so many times. It's just so hard to obey God. It's just so hard to be a Christian. Well, in a sense, that can be true. Sometimes you're going to have to make a hard choice. Sometimes you're not going to be popular with the world when you make a stand for God because the Bible says you're an enemy of the world. But you know what? If you think it's hard to obey God, try disobeying Him. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. We could open up the pulpit. We're not going to do that. But we could and have people come up here and testify to the fact that indeed the way of the transgressor is hard. Who says amen to that? Guys, it's not hard to be a Christian. It's hard to walk outside of his will and to disobey him. God's commandments are not burdensome. Doesn't mean they're not difficult. It means they are a joy to the heart of the one who truly loves him. It's what your new nature wants to do. 
It's the heart a mom has in caring for her new baby. It's not a have to, it's a get to. It's not always easy to be a mom with a new baby. You can be exhausted. The baby will wake you up. The baby thinks nothing about you. Right? 3 a.m., I'm hungry. Get up! And I'm going to scream till you do. And I'm not going to stop. And you know what, though? For a mom, she may be exhausted, but she doesn't see it as a burden. It's a get-to, not a have-to. Guys, in obeying and following the Lord, it's not always easy, but it's a get-to, not a have-to. Amen? We get to walk with Him. We get to serve Him. How do I show love to others? Just like Jesus, by dying to myself. Final point. Love in action. Your love for God will be seen in your love for your brother. If you truly love God, you will love His children. Your love for God and His children is made known by your obedience to His Word. And if you truly love God, His commands are a blessing, not a burden. Finally, if you believe by faith that Jesus is the Son of God, you will overcome the world. Guys, that's good news. Amen? Greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. Verse 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Doesn't mean you won't have to endure temptation or daily pressures. Faith in Him gives us the strength to stand against the world. The life of abiding faith and trust in Jesus Christ is a life that overcomes the pressures and temptations of the world. Because as I just said, greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. How many of you were tempted today? Raise your hand. Okay? Isn't it awesome when by the power of the Holy Spirit... He makes the way of escape, and you turn away from it. Amen? Isn't that a blessing? Doesn't it bring joy to your heart? And you know what's great about it? As you turn away, each time you turn away, God strengthens you to make it easier the next time. Amen? Guys, with temptation, God is faithful to make a way of escape. He's never going to allow you to be tempted beyond but what you are able. So, Whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And here's what it says. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. What's the key to victory? Our faith. Now that's a misunderstood word. We're almost done here, but I want to take some moments to talk about this. Guys, it's not faith in faith. Have you seen people on TV? And they talk about faith like faith is some kind of movable object. You need faith, right? And that kind of thing. Put your hand up here and have faith. No, faith is only as good as the object you place your faith in. Amen? So it's not faith in faith, it's faith in Jesus Christ. The reason that we can have victory in a world that is lost, in a world that is away from God, in a world that so desperately needs to be redeemed and saved, the reason we can walk in victory in the midst of it is we don't walk alone. We walk by faith, empowered by the Holy Spirit, walking and serving and following our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why we can have victory today. Amen? And it may not be the kind of victory you're looking for. May not be the victory that's going to put the car in your driveway you're looking for. If that's what you're looking for, wrong church. Amen? You probably find someone on TV at home this afternoon. But here's the point the point is this it's not about attaining stuff that is perishing, it's about entering into intimate fellowship with the one who you will have a relationship with forever. Amen? We're going to outlast this life. This life is a vapor. None of us has a promise of tomorrow. 
The world's way is hard. It's heartbreaking. It's empty. It's painful. The world produces only empty, broken, and separated lives. Only by faith in Christ alone can we overcome the world. The Gnostics could not promise that. The cults cannot promise that. But Jesus Christ does. Amen? Last verse. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? If you are going to overcome the world, you must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Real love does not compromise concerning the person of Christ. He's been talking about love, but for the second time, he stops, pulls aside, and talks about who Jesus is. Earlier, he talked about Jesus is the Christ, and he is born of God. Now he says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Real love does not compromise the person of Jesus Christ. There are those today, there are entire movements today, that are watering down the gospel, saying that they're trying to be loving so that they can reach more people. Well, all you're doing is reaching people with a lie that won't help them. Amen? If we are to reach people, if we are to see lives transformed, we need to preach the truth and do it without compromise. We are not free to redefine Jesus. Amen? His word defines him. We don't add to it, take away from it. It's right here. You want to know Jesus? Know his word because he is the word. Amen? And he elevates his word above all his name. Those who would say he's a good teacher, an elevated guru, Michael the archangel, a good man, they've missed it. Jesus is the one and only God, Savior, and King of this universe. The only reason we have been for, for redeemed and forgiven is not because a good man died in our place. Because a good man couldn't be good enough. Well, if you define it right, he is good enough because there's only one good man. His name is Jesus. Amen? Wasn't an elevated guru or a good teacher? Do you know an angel couldn't have died for you? Wouldn't have worked. The only reason we've been redeemed is because perfect, holy God came in human flesh and took on all of our sin upon himself. Only a perfect sacrifice can pay the price. He must be without sin. If you change the identity of Christ, you no longer have a valid sacrifice for sin. Final verse let, out of John chapter 8. Jesus says this, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. That word he there, when you go to that verse later, is in italics because it was added by the writers to try to bring sense to the verse. But here's what it really says. If you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sin. When you go back to Exodus and Moses comes before the burning bush and he is to be sent out to go and bring the people out of bondage in Egypt. And he asks, God appears to him, he says to him, who shall I say sent me? God, what is your name? And here's what he says, I am that I am. And then Jesus says, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sin. Guys, the people who say Jesus never claimed to be God need to open up their Bible and start reading it. Amen? Because it's all over Scripture. He, he says, I am the door. I am the sheep. The, the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sin. Guys, this morning, what we need is not our financial situation to turn around. 
That would be fine if it did. If not, God's still in control. What we need is not necessarily to be healed of our health problem, though God can do that if he chooses to. What we need is to fall back in love with Jesus Christ, make him the priority of our lives, and start having our love be seen in our actions. Amen? We want to reach Santa Cruz County. That's how it has to start. Lord, bring revival. Start in my heart first. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you and praise you for just the clear exhortation we've received this morning. As John the Apostle of Love writes to Christians who are surrounded by false teachers, surrounded by those who say they have a private interpretation and understanding, those who would say that walking in obedience to your word is meaningless, those who would say that, hey, just as long as you believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter what else you do. We thank you, Lord, that we've been instructed by your Holy Spirit to have a clear understanding that it's far more than just believing in Jesus that saves us. We must come to a place of surrendering our lives completely to Him. Come to a place where we recognize our sin and our need for a Savior. Come to a place where we don't just know about Him, but we have intimate fellowship with Him. Because only through the Son can we come to You, Father. So Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know You, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, they would not leave here with a hope so, but they would leave here knowing for sure that they're born again and that they're going to heaven. I would not plan on doing this this morning, but with every head bowed, Christians be praying. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. If you want to know for sure you're going to heaven, you want all your sin washed away. It's not just saying that Jesus is God. You must invite him to come and rule and reign in your life. You must say, I'm going to get off the throne and put him where he belongs. If that's your desire this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something really simple. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray with you and you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. Is there anybody here at all this morning? Is that your desire? Today's the day of salvation. The Lord loves you. Anybody. Lord, we thank you and praise you. Thank you again for our moms. What a blessing. May you bless them today. Lord, may we be a blessing to them. We love you so much. You're a great and an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.